0: Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hi everybody, good to have you here. This is the 20th episode of The Baton, and before we really get started with this episode, I want to thank all of my listeners, especially those who have been with the show since it began. I look back on it and can't believe that we're now into the 19th film composed by John Williams. It seems like yesterday that I was analyzing the music to his first film, Daddio. Of course, that was four months ago to us, but it was nine years since then and the debut of his only film for 1968, the TV version of the children's book, Heidi. I have to thank Yavar Moradi for convincing me to explore the scores of the two TV films John Williams was involved in early in his career. When planning the episodes of this podcast, I never considered them, but I'm glad I got the chance to watch Heidi and hear more musical gems from the maestro, so thank you, Yavar. I think lots of people equate this movie with its interruption of a big-time professional football game, and I'm going to talk about the history of that now so we can all move on from it. On November 17, 1968, NBC planned to air Heidi at precisely 7 p.m. Eastern Time, figuring the football game between the Oakland Raiders and the New York Jets would end well before that. But the game was running long, and NBC executives ordered that the game be aired in its entirety. Unfortunately, that communication didn't get to the right people in time because the NBC switchboards were being jammed by inquiring viewers. And Heidi began airing at 7 p.m. on the East Coast, while those in the other time zones still saw the game and the major comeback by the Raiders to win in the final minute. In 1997, the quote-unquote Heidi game was voted the most exciting regular season football game in history. Immediately after the dust settled, NBC installed new phone lines to make sure executives could call each other in such cases and bypass the network switchboards. So, what all this means, I think, is that Heidi was seen by a lot of people. Millions, in fact. And many people perhaps got their first taste of the music of John Williams, many of whom might not have ever thought to watch any of the previous 18 films in which he participated. The assignment to score Heidi came by way of Williams' work on Fitzwillie the year before. Delbert Mann, who directed Fitzwillie, was going straight from work on that comedy to helm the fourth version of the 1880 novel by Joanna Spirey. And after comparing the crew list on Fitzwillie to that of Heidi, it looks like John Williams is the only one, besides Delbert Mann, of course, who worked on both films. Even though Williams didn't spend much time on Fitzwillie's score, Writing it during his work on Valley of the Dolls, it's clear his work impressed man. Heidi's score has a lot of significance, and I hope it holds a big space in John Williams' memory. It's the first time he would record a score outside of the United States, working with the Hamburg Opera in Germany and recording other cues in London. Recording a score often takes about a month to complete, especially when the composer is also the producer, as Williams continued to be. I wonder if his family was able to join him overseas, as this would have certainly made him feel less lonely while writing music in Europe. Even though this is essentially a movie for children, John Williams doesn't treat it as such. Even the theme for Heidi, which is so lyrical in its nature that a song was created from it, has a mature quality to it. There are a few scenes that call for a playful tone to the music, but it's not out of place or quirky. After all those years writing music for comedies, Williams seemed to have found the right touch to putting music to comedy scenes, as we will discover shortly in this episode. Let's talk about the plot briefly, with some spoilers ahead. Jennifer Edwards plays Heidi, a young orphan girl who is sent to live with her reclusive grandfather in the Swiss Alps. Though resenting the fact that Heidi's mother, his daughter, left him to get married, The grandfather learns to accept Heidi and the two bond. The brother of Heidi's father, a rich businessman, wants to raise Heidi and give her the luxuries her grandfather can't provide. Heidi is torn between the two worlds. She likes being well-fed and clothed in her uncle's home, but she longs to be with her grandfather in the mountains. There's also Clara, Heidi's cousin, who is confined to a wheelchair after suffering an accident that killed her mother and Clara's nanny, who eventually falls in love with her employer. A lot of the plot lines were drastically changed from the original novel, seemingly to make it more family-friendly and to create a love interest for the adults watching. I remember reading the novel in high school, but never got to watch the 1968 TV movie version until now. Putting aside the differences between the novel and the film, I enjoyed watching the film even though the ending is as clear as the air high in the Swiss mountains. Jennifer Edwards is the daughter of the director, Blake Edwards. A year after Heidi aired on TV, Julie Andrews married Blake Edwards, becoming Jennifer Edwards' stepmother. It would have been great promotion for the film if that marriage had taken place before the film aired. The prologue to the film shows Heidi's aunt looking for someone to take care of Heidi, since she cannot do so now that she is getting married. She asks a local priest to take Heidi into the mountains to see her grandfather, and that's when John Williams gives us his lush and memorable main theme. That theme comes back as Heidi waits outside her grandfather's house while he thinks about taking her in as his ward. During this time, a local shepherd named Peter arrives at the house with bells around the goat's necks announcing his arrival. grandfather, named Jonas, takes Heidi in. Jonas's gruff exterior melts as Heidi sings a song that is familiar to him. The song is original to the film, and Rod McEwen supplied the lyric to Williams' gorgeous and innocent melody. At the time, McEwen wasn't well-known, but he was coming into his own and would later be a successful songwriter for the likes of Barbara Streisand and Johnny Mathis, among others. He'd also earned two Oscar nominations for songwriting. Because they are so young, there is no love interest between Peter and Heidi, but Peter helps Heidi have fun on the mountain. One day, Heidi says she's hungry but brought no food. Peter's solution is to drink milk from one of the female goats by squeezing one of the udders. Heidi joins in the fun, as does John Williams, composing a lovely, jaunty melody. The French horns, violins, and flutes are the highlights of the music in this scene. <laughs> You should have brought a cup. All right. <laughs> like it? <laughs> yes, I do. But the baby's hungry. Wouldn't Trinka give him some of the milk? Trinka's not her mother. She'd kick her away. Come here. that Jonas and Heidi are bonding, her uncle wants to take her to Frankfurt to teach her to read and to be a companion to his ailing daughter Clara. Jonas agrees to let Heidi go, but Heidi does not want to go. That's evident by the tears we see as she leaves the house. This scene is done with no dialogue, a treat for John Williams to write some emotional music. His stream section here does most of the heavy lifting. Thank you. Music there ends on a commercial break, which I would have needed to compose myself before the story continued. With no dialogue in the scene, Williams wrote the music to tell the story, even if you were only listening to the music. At this point in his career, Williams is fast becoming a master at telling the story musically and letting his music become another storyteller. Life in Frankfurt is okay for a while, and Heidi brings a little comedy into the house when she brings home a kitten, accompanied by a boy and his monkey that she met on the street the cat and the monkey wreak havoc in the dining room bringing back the comedy music from earlier in the movie oh sorry, i'm, I'm extremely sensitive to fur but usually like it's cats well i think this time it's a monkey no it's not a monkey it's kittens see oh oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Your ass, wait. wait a minute. I get it. Catch it! Catch it! am it! i I'm i it! I mentioned the love interest between the nanny and Heidi's uncle and, though it seems rather forced, it offers Oscar-winning actor Maximilian Schell the opportunity to play a romantic role for once. He does it quite well, especially in the scene in which he and the nanny kiss. You could see the desire in his eyes, which is quickly replaced by remorse when he thinks about his deceased wife. The love theme was written just for this one scene but it tells a very good story in the dialogue-free scene. The cellos and bass play when the memories of the dead wife arise, but the main love theme doesn't leave until Richard leaves the room. ¶¶ One day, Heidi decides she wants to go back to her grandfather and there's wonderful music accompanying her run up to the mountain to see Jonas. Heidi has the perfect life again, and this seems to be the chief message of the movie. Sometimes life in the big city is not as great as the quiet life away from the hustle and bustle. And we see more of that message conveyed in a montage as Heidi works and plays on the mountain. Tidy. What's the matter? Nothing's the matter, grandmother. I'm just happy. So now we're up to the finale that has been building up for about an hour in the film. We know that this movie is not ending until Clara walks, and that moment is forced to happen by Jonas, who leaves Clara at the house by herself. She can't get up the mountain in her wheelchair, and the only option is to walk. She falls from her wheelchair, and John Williams' music practically wills her to walk. Music then rises to help lift Clara and offers a triumphant statement that is not overdone. The visuals of Clara walking are a bit overacted and John Williams probably noticed that. His music keeps the moment grounded and you are glad to see Clara walk into her father's waiting arms. So, all the plot points are wrapped in a nice bow, and our final shot of the movie is Heidi, all alone, smiling on the mountain as John Williams proclaims that Heidi finally has a place of her own. This final scene begins with Jonas playing a bit on the church organ as most of the main characters listen, seemingly from up on the mountain and I think too far away to hear an organ's music. But, everyone is smiling, and you suspend a bit of disbelief because... John Williams' music is playing, and you just get swept up in the emotion. Because of Heidi's major promotions by NBC in the days leading up to the air date and its subsequent interruption of the big football game, this became one of the most watched TV movies of 1967. Official viewership numbers are not available, but certainly Hollywood took notice. The film gave John Williams his second nomination for an Emmy Award for the Outstanding Achievement in Musical Composition. This award encompassed music written for movies and weekly series as evidenced by the nominees in the 1969 ceremony. Nominated with Heidi was music from episodes of Hawaii Five-O, Mission Impossible, and The Outcasts. Another TV movie, Hemingway's Spain, A Love Affair, was also a nominee. And after more than a decade in the business... John Williams finally won his first award, taking the Emmy in 1969. I don't know if he attended the ceremony, but if he did, I'm sure he gave a gracious acceptance speech very similar to the ones he would give when he became very famous. It's great that John Williams' first peer award for writing music for films was writing for an original composition, even though most of his work during this time frame had him mixing in other people's work with his own. With Heidi being his only film score released in 1968, it gave John Williams the ability to not feel rushed for what was to come in 1969. He would be involved in three films that year, and one of those films would be responsible for making him the legendary artist he is today. We'll find out what that film is in an upcoming episode of The Baton. In the meantime, please feel free to send me your comments about this episode or any other episode you've listened to recently. Your comments often help guide future episodes and often give me some insight that I might have missed. So send me an email to jeffswim at AOL.com or post a comment on the Podbean app. And until next time, the baton is down.